it occurred to me that my grandchildren would never have the opportunity to have the conversations that I was having. And it, they were so inspiring and they were, it was such amazing conversations that I was having and what I was learning that I just couldn't imagine a world where their voice wasn't in it to teach us. Hey everybody, I'm Julie and welcome to Women With Cool Jobs. Each episode will feature women with unique, trailblazing and innovative careers. We'll talk about how she got here, what life is like now and actionable steps that you can take to go on a similar path or one that's all your own. This podcast is about empowering you. It's about empowering you to dream big and to be inspired. You'll hear from incredible women in a wide variety of fields, and hopefully some that you've never heard of before. Women who build robots and roadways, firefighters, C-suite professionals surrounded by men, social media mavens, entrepreneurs, and more. I'm so glad we get to go on this journey together. Hello, everybody. This is Julie Berman, and welcome to another episode of Women with Cool Jobs. So today is such an exciting episode because I got to speak with someone who is able to like envision what they want in the future and then bring it to life. And my goodness, that is such a special gift and such an incredibly courageous thing to do in my mind. Because how many times in life have you yourself thought of an idea um, or had like uh, your mom or like your spouse or even your child think of a really cool thing that you would love to see, like round ice or, um, you know, maybe like something like the Walkman or a portable CD player. But we think of these things all the time that we wish existed and we want them and we need them and they don't exist. And then you hear like 10 years later, someone invented that. And there's such a huge distance, right, between thinking something and and thinking about, oh my gosh, this would be cool if this existed, to actually then getting to the point where you've created it, you've developed it, it's a thing. People can interact with it or touch it or do it, right? It's like such a different place to be. And this guest, Heather Mayo-Smith, she is the co-founder, the president, and the chief visionary officer of a company called Storyfile. That's exactly what she did. She went on this journey where in 2010, she was a um, person who was developing these interactive exhibits for Holocaust survivors. And she was having this conversation where she thought, oh my gosh, I am having an active conversation with someone who has survived the Holocaust. And yet my children will not be able to have the same type of interactive conversation, the same type of interactive exchange where they can ask questions and feel like, you know, they can get the specific answers to what they want to know in real time format. And she considered, how can I create this? How can I bring this to life? And she did exactly that. She took from 2010 to 
recently um, where she went through all these different things to create what is now Storyfile Life and Storyfile. So Storyfile Life is actually where she has um, this capability for individuals like you and me to go in and either create our own files with our own story, right, our own story file, or to have people like your parents, your grandparents, um, friends, like if you know someone who has a terminal illness or maybe they have dementia, they can go in and record, choose from over 2,000 questions and record and create their own file answering these questions to then share with you or other people who it may be important to to listen to what it's been like to be them and their experiences and what they've lived through and the things that they've learned, the journey they've been on. And then they have this other side of the business that is more working with big companies, corporations, organizations that they go through and they work in um, a very big way to help not only develop what are the visions that they want to do with these stories that people are telling and the interactions they want to have? What are the overall objectives? What are the outcomes that they want? What are the questions that they want to ask this person? How do they want to capture them? So it's really this incredible um, tool that they have created to be able to combine video technology with artificial intelligence that supports this two-way conversation in real time. So it's such a cool thing. If you want to check them out, go to www.storyfile.com and you can also get 20% off the Story Life pack with the code Women Cool Jobs. So if you're interested, that might be something fun to be able to make your own story file. But this was such a cool conversation because this is exactly the type of woman who I myself envisioned over two years ago when I was developing this podcast, who I wanted to have because she is doing something revolutionary that's going to change the way that um, not only we can interact with people who we love or people who are important to us, but also has all these other capabilities and all these other applications that we talk about for being used, you know, maybe in an educational setting or in a HR setting and so many others. So it's really, really fascinating. And Heather has a very cool job where she is literally helping to not only figure out the puzzle pieces of what needs to happen for her company and the technology that they need to build and then finding the people and finding um, the tools and the resources to help it all come together. But then she's trying to figure out how to glue it together to get to where she needs to go, to get them to where they want to be now and in the future. So I hope that you come away from this conversation seeing how not only um, her job is so incredible, but then also coming from a standpoint where you can apply this to your own life in a sense of seeing how, you know, when we think of something that is possible for the future, whether it's a company or something that you want to create, that we can apply the word yet to so many different things. It doesn't exist yet. You can also apply this to yourself in your own life. Like if you hear of a woman 
in a cool job, whether it's on my podcast or it's through LinkedIn or you hear about her on the news or you read about her, that you can say, well, I don't know that I have the skills, right, or the characteristics to be able to do this yet or to be this yet, but that it is completely possible to figure out how to do it in the future um, to be that person or to do this particular thing that you want to do. And um, Heather and what she has created, what she has done, and what she is doing is the epitome of that. And I was just so grateful to be able to have this conversation, especially as I'm heading to my two-year podversary of when I you know, shared women with cool jobs with the world. So it's such a special thing. So if you can think of one woman who would love this conversation, who would resonate with what Heather's story is and what she's doing, that would be so special if you would share it with one woman. Thank you as always for listening. Hello, Heather. I'm so excited to have you here and welcome to Women with Cool Jobs. Oh, thank you. I'm excited. I love this. I love your, your title, Women. Thank with- you. I would thank love to you. meet you actually and interview all these women. <laughs> <laughs> I would, you know, I, I, it's been such a blessing to do it. Like I've gotten to talk to the most interesting people. So it's, and I'm always learning, which is like such a fun part of it. So I appreciate that. Get them all to do story files of themselves. It would be really interesting. Yeah. That's, I hadn't even thought about that, but that would be such an interesting other way to share this work and like what you know, like what everyone's accomplished and what they're doing. So yeah, maybe we'll have to chat about that. That's a really awesome idea. So I want to introduce you. You are the chief visionary officer, the co-founder and the president of StoryFile, which uses this incredible video technology combined with artificial intelligence to support a two-way conversation. So oftentimes we have videos and we see it's it's one-way communication, right? The video is playing and we're listening to it. And you've helped bring this really incredible technology to life that, uh, that it allows for a conversation to happen between the person who is videoed and the actual person who's asking the questions in live time. And it mimics having a real conversation because you can you can interact. You can ask questions that you have on the spur of the moment about that individual's experience. Mm-hmm. It's exactly. great description. Thank you. <laughs> you tell I was in communications before. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it's such an interesting thing that you did. And, and I know we got to chat luckily a little bit before this official recording. And what I found so incredible about what you've done and what you're doing is that this is truly a visionary thing that you have brought to life because you started out, you said Siri didn't exist back right. in 2010. And also it just so happened that Skype had arrived on the scene, but it like wasn't super developed. Right. And you had this really incredible thought, but yet the tech wasn't up to where it needed to be Mm -hmm. to, and like to roll out, 
your idea. And so you've kind of like gone along and put all the puzzle pieces together to create story file and to now enable not only businesses to use it, but also to allow just like the everyday person to be able to capture some of these special conversations, these special memories and things that they can now share with future generations. Right. Right. I mean, you said something earlier about so often people make videos for us or video content for us, documentaries, movies, even news is curated for us. And we, it has a point, right? Everybody that curates video wants to make a particular point. It's a story they're telling and it's their view of that story. Our our whole ethos was what if you were the one that was able to just through your curiosity, ask the questions that you were curious about, ask the follow-up questions to those documentaries, you know, the things they didn't talk about. And so far, and then you're not passively listening to their version of this story. You're actually in it and figuring it out for yourself and just asking questions and, and letting your curiosity go wild. (laughs) Yeah. And it's such an incredibly powerful tool. Like I love just doing the, you know, some of the research that I've done into Storyfile and about you and kind of what you're all doing. And I think the most interesting thing is that I love the idea that the kids of tomorrow and the adults of tomorrow can ask these questions of the people who may or may not still be able to share and to be able to not only preserve it in this really special way, but to have it be that interactive component, because I think that just coming from like a learning background, like what you said, being able to ask your own questions at the time that you want to ask them is so important and so incredible for the learning experience. It it really is. It's how we learn as human beings. We learn through asking questions. We engage deeper. We connect with the content and the, the material that we're learning about in a deeper sense. So it just made sense. Why shouldn't you be able to ask your own questions and have your own conversation? Yeah. And I want to ask you as part of your job, because, you know, we have like this beautiful title of chief visionary officer, co-founder and president, like how do you actually describe your job? How would you explain that? Oh, I get the fun part. (laughs) I get, get, you know, there's so many things that we can do with this technology and it's so new still. And by making it ubiquitous for every family to do, there's also the business side and all the applications that businesses and other individuals can do to help make their lives easier and save them time as well. So I get to play basically and develop new new prototypes of different you know use cases for the technology and things to show other companies how they can use the technology and then building our different products that we have uh, is also an element of it. 
Okay. Wow. So from just my standpoint, if I'm understanding correctly, it's like a lot of the sort of higher level things for the business that you're working on and like also the future oriented things. Okay. Yeah. And I'm curious, like going back in time, how did you get into this? And like, I know you have a lot of experience with these interactive exhibits and, and particularly in relation to the Holocaust, but I'm curious, like even going back before that, like, what was your, you know, if you have education, what was that in? And like, how did you get into this path? Because it's, it's such an interesting thing that you're doing now. I'm curious, like how it all evolved. Oh, that's a very interesting question. I grew up in retail. One of the things that I became really good at, as some might say it was kind of natural or came naturally to me, was merchandising and so and uh, setting up designing windows and cool displays and then merchandising stores and also purchasing uh, was a big thing, big part of my my life back then. I did graduate in ha- with a history degree and I thought for a while that I might teach actually, but I kind of fell into doing these immersive exhibitions and exhibits and I loved it. I loved building environments that people would go into and they would just feel like they were taken into that story and they were just, they were living it. For whatever other reason, I began to specialize in the themes of these these uh, exhibit these immersive ex- environments. Sort of quickly became Holocaust related and genocide related, mm-hmm. and I loved the idea of taking people into those stories and into those people's lives and actually immersing them in what it would have felt like for those individuals it was really a, an amazing challenge. To be able to do during that that time, I was having a lot of conversations with these Holocaust survivors, and I was watching them in the public and watching them at libraries and museums and anywhere they talked. And I was having these great conversations with them, even kind of during the you know during the downtime when you're not filming them, and. I, it occurred to me that my grandchildren would never have the opportunity to have the conversations that I was having. And it, they were so inspiring and they were, it was such amazing conversations that I was having and what I was learning that I just couldn't imagine a world where their voice wasn't in it to teach us. So it kind of led me on a, this path and I don't, it, it was kind of a confluence of a different, a few different things that happened. And I kind of put A and B together or, you know, A and Z together. <laughs> and <laughs> Okay. Well, if you could do this and you could do that, then why can't you do this? Then I, I had developed a relationship with a person that I had met around the same time who ended up being the executive director of the USC Shoah Foundation and who I ended up actually marrying uh, later on, but that was <laughs> another story. Anyway, I approached him with this idea and of course it was a natural 
he had done his whole PhD was in testimony and how, you know, we haven't, how asking questions and having these conversations was the way that we should really learn about these. And that we hadn't asked all the questions yet. So he got it right away, of course, but then it just, it took a long time, you know, nothing like this had ever been done before. People didn't really understand the technology either, especially the speech recognition. There wasn't, like you said, there wasn't Siri yet, wasn't Alexa and things like that, but it was coming down the pike. But the idea of talking to someone who was no longer around with us or no longer alive, it was a it was a hard thing for a lot of people, especially in such a conservative field like Holocaust studies to really get behind. So we had, we ended up having to do a proof of concept. We did the proof of concept. It showed promise, but you know, now, you know, this whole time we didn't know if it would actually work the way I, I had envisioned it working. Then that wasn't good enough. So then we had to do a pilot. Okay, go out, raise the money for the pilot, do the pilot. It was maybe 10 months of post, an incredibly manual process just because it hadn't been done before and a lot of different specialty labs involved, special tech labs. And you know, special effects and all kinds of different people. Finally, the pilot was done and we took it around the world because we needed to get people to ask questions. At that time, the the project was called Dimensions and Testimony. And we had to take it around the world, get people to ask questions so that that formed the database that that the conversation could work off of. And we were constantly iterating it as we went. Wow. As we were adding more data, and the one the one question I kept getting from people when they would see it was, "This is amazing. Can I do this myself? You know, and could I do this with my family or my my grandparents, my parents, the founder of our company?" And after a couple of years, we just we realized, okay, there's something here the process that we had been doing for dimensions and testimony for the show foundation was very, very expensive and very manual. And so we knew that if we wanted to do it for people and make it truly ubiquitous, it had to be affordable. People had to be able to use whatever camera they had, which meant their computers or laptops or phones or tablets. It had to all be online and it had to happen instantaneously in real time. Yeah. That was a huge challenge. 5G hadn't come onto the, the scene yet. A lot of areas in the world are still still on really bad Wi-Fi. So the uploading, downloading of videos, that all had to be worked out. And we just said about, I think it was about 2017. No, yeah, 2017, late in 2017, we said, you know, I think that we could see the path to actually build it. We pushed the technology as far as we could by around 2019. Then we iterated and evolved it 
2020, 2021, when we're still, you know, that part of my job as chief visionary officer is saying, okay, well, how is this going to work in 2025, 26, 28? You know, what kind of tech is going to be around or how far can we push natural language processing? How far can we push artificial intelligence? How far can you push machine learning? And what kind of a natural conversation does that create? And then you say, okay, well, what kind of data do we need from people in order to do that? The the thing that we makes us special is we're or different. We're based on real people. I'm not scraping your texts, for example, or taking all of your emails that you've ever written in the last 10 years and deciding this is what I think you would say in answer to this question. And this is how I think you would look answering this question. Mm. I'm if there's one thing I've learned about artificial intelligence, the the one thing that you about human beings that is probably going to be the most difficult thing. And I would even probably bet you will not be able to do it ever (laughs) is a hundred percent replicate nonverbal communication between humans. And so it was very, very important to us that a, we use video because it was, it would have been a whole lot easier if you just used audio but in, in order to really get to know someone, you have to be able to look into their eyes. You have to be able to see their body language. You have to be able to feel that person as they're talking to you. And so we stuck with the video. We stuck with the, the authentic using a real person. This is what the person said. This is how they looked when they said it, nothing is edited, nothing is manipulated in any of the videos that you, that you record of yourselves, nothing, nothing like that. So it does really give a person a sense of who you are or were years from now, people will watch, you know, interact with my story file and hopefully they'll get a really good sense of who I was. I think that's so incredibly i mean it's interesting but it's also just so powerful i think not only for the sake of historical purposes you know and sort of how you got started but then also for the sake of family members you know or even like friends it's it's so fascinating because i was i was listening to one of the story files that you have up on the site is this 106 year old woman and cool. viola fletcher and she w- she lived through the Tulsa race riots, which I had think I'd heard of, but like I had no idea about it. So then, of course, I went and go look. I went yeah. to go look it up. No idea, huh? Are yeah, you- it's it was incredible. So, but you know, it was interesting because I was listening and I was asking different questions, you know, and I went through some of the suggested questions, and she happened to say the word, um, and I would say it theater but she said theater Mm. and I listened to it and then I replayed it. And I like, I literally started crying because I realized my grandma who would have been a hundred and one this year, um, who passed away almost a decade ago now. And who I was super close to that's how she said theater. She said theater. And I literally hadn't heard the pronunciation in so long. I had forgotten that, that, 
that was how she said it. And so I just immediately started crying. And I went to my husband, and I was like, he's like, what is wrong? Cause I, I was doing research. He's like, what happened? You know, but it was, it was just so incredibly powerful. And then to be able to capture that, right. That was a perfect stranger, but to be able to capture that for someone who like you admire or want to know, or like love and care about so, so powerful. So I wanted to share that first and foremost, because I just thought the voice is so incredible, you know, and, and I think that's, and then the visual element um, as well. And it's, it's why I also wanted to do podcasts was to be able to capture some of that. It's not the same to read it. It's like to pa- to capture people's unique voices. Yeah. It's, di- it is totally different. Yeah. And so I want to ask you kind of a little bit more about your job in because you are someone who's really doing something that hasn't yet been done and you're constantly evolving it. I think we've all known someone or had our, our own ideas of like, Oh, I think this should, this should, you know, be in existence, like, you know, whatever, a circular ice cube or like whatever the idea is. And then a decade later, someone invents it and you're like, Oh, I have that idea. But (laughs) The thing is, is like you had the idea and, and the difference between the thought and the action. I mean, there's this giant, giant expanse. And so I would love to hear from you. Like, how do you go about and how did you go about that? Like, what is your mindset and how do you do that going forward? Because I think that's such a powerful thing, not only as a person, but like as a, as a woman sort of, and hopefully where we're going in the world with being women and doing these cool jobs and doing things that maybe we haven't done in the past. Yeah, it definitely was challenging. I'll say that. (laughs) It's, I was talking to somebody else and they asked me a similar question and I have to honestly, honestly say there was something internal that almost it just consumed me. I, it, it, it wouldn't let me stop. I just had to do this. I had to make this happen. The more we got into it. And I, I think the biggest, you know, one of the biggest things was the, the people that I was working with and ch- trying to capture these Holocaust survivors voices for future generations I, I mean, I knew that we could do presidents. I knew that we could do other people that have changed our world, you know, and leaders and people that have certain specific knowledge that, you know, a lot more people, it would be great if a lot more people had access to that, right? But I was, I don't know, it was as if I was just literally born to make that happen. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up. Yeah. It, was, it was tough though. I mean, I was called insane, crazy. People said to me, you want to talk to dead people? It was a weird concept. One institution called it the seance project. And, um, you know, we were trying to do something that had only been done in science fiction before. You know, that was, on, that was, that was a person's point of reference which I would have thought would have helped, (laughs) you know, but it just, it, it took a lot 
a lot of, of doors, opening doors, closing doors, doors slammed on you until you found people that really could understand it and would back it. It was a very expensive project to do for the show foundation and that whole field, they, they have to raise money for, for all of this education to happen. So you don't want to take money away from something, uh, another program that is a value in order to try something that we didn't actually know if it would work. So until about, even about 2015, early 2015, we didn't fully know if it would work the way we intended. So that was five years later. Wow. And a few, a few million dollars already <laughs> later. Wow. Yeah. It was a journey that I don't think, you know how they say that, you know, when young people do things and they say that they were just either too stupid or too naive to actually know what they were getting and like know what they were. <laughs> I wasn't young and I wasn't <laughs> wasn't exactly inexperienced, but I think that I didn't fully realize and I can appreciate it now, but I didn't fully realize how difficult what I was asking everybody to do was. Because I just naturally saw it. I, I it was yeah. it was there and of course this should happen. Why shouldn't this happen? Why shouldn't we be able to do this? It would be amazing for people to be able to talk to JFK right now. I mean, if he had, if he had been able to do this or uh, Martin Luther King, I mean, the, and, and, you know, and everyone says to me, oh, well, we, you know, we've already had all of our greats and da, 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 there's not going to be anybody left to interview. What are we going to do? We don't know that. We have no That's- idea. We have no idea of what's going to come down the pike, who's going to come down the pike, how they're going to change our lives in the world. Yeah. You know, so there's plenty of people that that we can that should be captured like this so that other people can have these conversations and ask them what's on their mind. Even if it's even if you're in a classroom and you do a Q&A. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but if you've gone to a lecture or been in a classroom, and this person gives, you know, gives a lecture, da, 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 they're talking for quite a while. Most people are quiet. They're very respectful. And then you open it to the Q&A. And then the room, in, the energy in the room shifts. It changes. And everybody becomes engaged all of a sudden. Everybody wants to ask a question. If you've ever been involved in that, or even the next time you you are in one of those situations, I want you to pay attention to how many questions don't get answered. I mean, they'd leave like 10 minutes, 15 minutes for Q&A usually. Literally, if you would swap that and spent the first 45 minutes with a Q&A and then 20 minutes on the lecture, that would be more balanced because people, they, they're they want to ask their own question. They want to talk to people. They want to hear what they want to hear that person or experience that person talking to them and mm-hmm. feel like they've been they've been heard and they've been and they've had that communication. It's how we learn. It's in our human DNA. So I I just to answer you, that was a long way of, of saying I was 
compelled. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it though. It was, that was a really great answer. And I think that is something too, that's really interesting because it allows someone to apply what they've learned right. to their own life, which is a huge tenet of actually andragogy, which is how adults learn. So mm. it's really, really interesting. And yeah, I, I'm going to think about this. So <laughs> I, I want to ask to, you know, what is your, if you can tell us maybe about a typical day in your life or a typical week in your life, or if that doesn't exist, kind of some of the the little things you do are like, who do you meet with? And the reason I ask is because my next question, I want to talk about sort of like, what do you think the skills and maybe like the characteristics are for someone to be like in this type of position where you're, you're helping create the future, you know, you're helping create something for the future. So I, so what is like a typical day or week life in your, in your life? What do you do? First thing I'm going to say is for the second question, I, I don't think I can answer that. I think that you probably would have to ask somebody else what kind of skills I have that <laughs> made this work. But for the first question, my day, oh God, I wish you could see my board <laughs> side of me. It's moving, motivating people to move forward all the time, constantly. It's getting everybody on the same page getting everybody to think outside the box as much as they can and, and really embrace that in themselves and, and go with, you know, run with it. It's figuring out problems, solving problems, solving issues, you know, saying, okay, what, what would it take if we wanted to do this? And clients come to us and they say, well, I've got this situation. What do we, what can you suggest? So then it's, all right, what are we trying to solve for really understanding what their needs are and why, and then saying, okay, well, we can use this technology in this particular way for you. It's a lot of fundraising, unfortunately. So bringing investors on, you know, on the journey with you Mm. and that and communicating that with them. And is that, is that to be able to grow for future purposes or is that to be able to like reinvest in new technologies? Like, I guess, how does that part work? Cause I'm really not aware of anything having to do with, with like building a business and raising funds for that purpose. Well, yeah. So the, the part about building a business is you always need money in order to, to go to the next level, okay. right? And in order to get to the next level and make the money that you expect to make at that level, you need to invest money to get there, to support it and to grow. And then hope the hope is, <laughs> is this, that you get to what's called free cash flow. So once you get there, that means the the capital that you require to keep evolving and moving is actually finally being supplemented by the business that you're bringing in. So you don't need as much investment as you did in the beginning because 
in the beginning, you're not going to have as many customers, but you have to build the product, right? Right. You're not going to have as many clients, but you need the team to think about how they would sell that and how they would, you know, what they're going to sell. You may have uh, maybe five productions to do a month, but yet you need a team that can actually produce 10 of those productions because that's where you ultimately want to be. Okay. So you, the old adage that it takes money to make money, that's kind of what they mean. You have to invest money. And it sometimes it is a lot more money than you would even be making at, you know, for, for years, for example, marketing plans, you know, and advertising, you need to spend probably three times the amount of revenue you actually want to create in the first three years. Wow. So you need to invest, you need to, you need investors to support that growth. Not easy. You have to hit targets. You have to make sure that you, that you're forecasting realistically. We happen to be pretty conservative. I know that there are a lot of companies that aren't. And again, it's, it's also in the story you tell and the people are investing in people. So it's a lot of, of relationship building. It's a lot of communication. It's a lot of relationship building. And so for your day, because you are doing all these things, and I know you mentioned having a team of like 70 to 75 people who are working, you know, together to sort of build and grow and um, do what you're doing. So with that, I mean, is your day, are you kind of carving out time to like, not only I'm sure have many meetings, but then also to make sure that you're allowing time for like envisioning what the future is and, and like having time to brainstorm. Cause I feel like that would be a huge part of your job, just given your title even. So how do you do that, that balance? That's the difficult part, isn't it? I mean, you, I think I probably brainstorm during my downtime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you own your own business, you're 24 seven. So it's like, yeah. okay, we could think in the shower, we could think walking, we could think, <laughs> we get time to think. It's not only that, it's time to write as well. Organizing takes time and brainstorming with your teams. Uh, but then it, it's also about implementing that. So yeah, no, you never have enough time to, to just think. Yeah. Luxury. I, I hope to get to. <laughs> right. One, one day. <laughs> I totally get that. Mm -hmm. I, so I was curious as you're talking to what is it in your experience to be a woman sort of building this company, especially, you know, you said a lot of people not only didn't get what you were wanting to build, but also really sounded like they, they just so much couldn't understand it that, that they were, had negativity towards it. So I'm curious, like if, if you feel like because you're a woman that that's affected you, or maybe it hasn't, or like sort of how you feel now being in this environment where you are leading a, a decent sized company, like doing incredible things and you're in this chief executive role. 
It's an interesting question. First, I have to say that I grew up in, I, I said already, I grew up in retail and I, that retail business was basically run by my mom and she took it over from her father. So I had an amazing role model, I guess, in that because there wasn't anything that I don't think, I mean, I grew up feeling as if there wasn't anything that she couldn't do. Right. I don't know if she ever, I think retail was probably a lot more female oriented in in general. Anyway, I'm sure that the C-suite was, you know, in major department stores was mostly men, but it was basic, basically run. Women ran a lot of the day-to-day in retail. So and I, I would, I don't know if I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for this from a lot of feminists, but my grandmother said something to me interesting uh, when I was kind of almost a teenager, I guess. She said, you know what? You just have to use whatever you've got. And I'm a pretty good salesperson from that in that regard because of growing up in retail Mm. and I am not afraid to use whatever I have to be able to do it at my fingertips. So whether I say to myself, I need to put a man in this position in order to ask, do the ask, I'm fine with that. If I need to get people around me and certain types of people around me in order to do, get the job done. I'm fine with that. Whatever works. It's not, and it's not always about me. I have to, I have to think of all of my employees. I have to think of my family. I have to think of the business that I want to build and what we're trying to do. So I'm open to using or allowing anyone to come in to do that. So whether they're male or female or whatever, whatever they are. Well, and I think to your point, like, I don't see why you would ever get hate mail for essentially to me, like you're being really resourceful and smart. I, I, you know, and I think that, that that's probably why you've been able to do this and keep going after like a decade of, of trying to, put so many puzzle pieces together. Cause so I think the interesting thing that I was considering, you know, before the interview, and even as we're talking is that you sort of are putting together something that maybe you're like missing pieces. Cause they haven't been invented yet. You know, like, it's like, you have to know, you have to know what, yeah, you have to know what those pieces are though. Yeah. And then figure out how to create them. It's that you're talking about the, the glue with the glue where glue doesn't exist. So how do you, how do you fill that void and with what? Yeah. It's, it's so cool. Like I, I think that what you've created and I'd love to have you walk us through if someone was going to use story file to create a memory of, you know, either like loved one or they themselves want to make it. Could you walk us through what that experience is 
to actually start using it yeah. and just like a basic sense. Yeah. Super simple. You go on the platform, you sign up. The first thing you're going to do is choose all the questions that you're, that you're going to want either your, yourself to answer or a loved one. You can also add your own questions to that. I mean, for example, I was asked to do a 75 question storyline for my mom. And within 20 minutes, I had 250 questions. Wow. But we have over 2000, well, we have just about 2000 questions already in the, on the story file life platform. So that's the family, family platform and, or, you know, individual platform, personal platform, whatever. So you pick your, you pick out your questions based on the person that you're interviewing's experience, their age, you know, what they might've been in involved with career, work, home, family, heritage, political, or just experiences over their lifetime that, you know, highlights that they might've been involved in and asked to reflect on. And then you sit them down, either they can do or you can do the interview, you know, you can answer all the questions yourself using your laptop or your phone. And you're literally just, you see the question on the screen, you hit record, you answer the question and stop recording. You can review it if you want to, or just save and move on. And then you answer the next question and the next question and the next question. When you're done with all of that and you've answered everything, even kind of before, once you've answered about 10 questions, you can go in and and try and ask yourself those questions and just kind of interact with yourself to, to see how it's going, which is kind of fun. But then once you're finished in real time, you've got your story file done. You can upload it on your Facebook page. You can share it with your friends and family. You can keep it private if you wanted. You can upload it on your LinkedIn page if it's more, maybe you did one more focused on your career and things like that, or you just want people to get to know you. It's a great way for someone to get to know you anytime, anywhere they want to do that without bothering you or without having, you know, having to have you present Yeah, just share it and you you share a link and super, super easy. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that. And I I think it was, it's interesting from the standpoint, you can use it for yourself individually for like a parent or a grandparent or Mm -hmm. a friend. And we were talking about some of the different scenarios that you guys were sort of brainstorming that people could use it. So anything from, you know, a friend or family member who maybe had a terminal illness or disease, which is, I mean, which is such an incredible thing to be able to do. My husband's daughter, um, when my husband's father was diagnosed with dementia, she was the first one. She was the one that said, can I use StoryFile? Um, we only had it in beta at the time, but she says, can you give it to me? And cause I want to in- interview granddad because, you know, my children will never be able to meet him or get to know him without it. So she sat him down for about four hours, asked him about 300 questions. And what's remarkable about this is it's a great experience for the interviewee and the interviewer. If you do it with someone, like if you have a family member do this, 
I have not had one family that has not learned something or heard something that they had never heard before. It's also a great way to engage with the people in your family and really get to know them and bond with them. It's a very special experience, actually. It's really, but you can, I mean, you feel free to do it yourself. You set up a, if you want to set up a light ring, you can do that. If you don't, it's fine. If you want to worry about continuity and getting yourself in the, in the, that we have an oval that you're, you're kind of trying to keep your head in just for continuity, but you know, you don't have to pay attention to a lot of that as long as you've got it. That's yeah. the, as long as you've video, as long as you've captured the story of your life, that's the most important thing. I hear a lot, a lot of people say, Oh, well, I don't have a story. No, I don't. Nobody's going to be interested. And it's so not true. It's so not true. I wish I want to shake every single person that says this to me because there is somebody that loves you who's who to them, your story is truly important. I don't care what you've done in your life. There and there, by the way, and I'm sure you've experienced this because you talk to a lot of people and you you get to know a lot of people every week. Is there one person that you've met that you haven't learned something from? Yeah, I've learned from them all, at least one or two things, but usually many, many more. There's not one person that I've ever met that I've talked to. I don't care if it's, I've only asked them five questions that I haven't learned something, something about. Yeah. About life or about anything. It's, it's fascinating. People are fascinating, but they, they oftentimes, oh no, I don't want to do it. I don't have a life, but it's so not true. Yeah. It's, and it's interesting, the more I do this, the more I've paid attention to how people tell stories and the questions that they ask and how people ask questions. And it's so interesting because it's like, you can tell stories are the way that we pass down information. Stories are what help us imagine being somewhere else, you know, or living in another culture or going through a certain experience. It's how, you know, we've communicated for a gazillion years. And so, yeah, it's, it's just a really fascinating thing to think about. And then also the fact that you guys are not only constantly developing for where we're at today, but then also it sounds like really trying to figure out where are you as a company? And then as the technology sort of grows and develops, like, where's that all going to be? Mm-hmm. is a really interesting thing to think about and a really powerful tool like in so many contexts whether it's organizations maybe for hr purposes or educational or what have you so i i just am really excited to you know follow along with with you and with storyfile to see like in 5 years what are you all doing and like where is it going to be used it'll be so cool to see in five years, everyone will probably be using a story file in most of their daily lives, whether that's, you know, your corporate training or you are, you do have a question for your HR person that will all be in, in, in a story file. You should, there is no reason today why we shouldn't be able to reach out to anyone, ask them a question and get an answer. I, I mean, I gone are the and and it's a personal, it's a person. Like I want to, if I'm diagnosed with it, with something, 
I want to ask somebody, I want to talk to somebody who's actually lived through that and, and ask them what they, how they dealt with it. What, what, what am I not know? What do I not know right now? Or, you know, and I don't want to go through 20 pages on Google and go down all these rabbit holes and pretty soon the whole day is completely gone or, you know, you're up until three in the morning, just ask somebody. Yeah. And don't, you know, send an email and then wait for them to respond 24 hours later or, you know, not even respond. And then you have to follow up with them. You should be able to just ask somebody a question. I don't want to look through a 500 page manual for the answer to something that I, that I need. I just want to ask somebody. Yeah. Within five years, everybody, every, every school kid will be using it. Every fourth grade project where they have to do their genealogy, they will be interviewing family members through StoryFile. They will be learning about presidents. They'll be learning about space. They'll be learning about the climate through StoryFiles. You will ask customer service. FAQs will all be StoryFiles. And the the issue is, it's not that I want to take anything away from chatbots or avatars. It's different when you are, when you're, you think you're talking to a real person, but that real person is a real person. It's a different experience than if that, that image is an avatar. Mm -hmm. It's a automated voice. The human being, you get a different feeling from it. So what we want to do is we want to bring back the human element to all of that. And, and really have you connect on a person, like person to person, just, you know, you just might not be there when you're connecting. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) You know, I can get to know somebody that lives in, let's say I'm visiting, um, where would I want to go? I don't know, Zimbabwe. I I just want to talk to someone that lives there. You know, what should I do? What's your culture like? I just want to talk to a person, let's say they own a uh, safari business or something like that, or basket weaving, or I don't know, a tech company in Zimbabwe, and I want to go tour it. You know, I can ask them about living in Zimbabwe and, you know, their business and, you know, where should I go for this? What should I do? What should I see while I'm there? And what is your life like? Yeah. What, is your, what is your culture like? I love that. Learn a language. Do you know how many times I've heard people try and learn languages, but they never learn to speak them? Yeah. If you could do a story file and you could actually just speak to someone, you're learning Spanish or you're learning French or German, but I can actually, in I can interview you in German and you're speaking to me in German in your native tongue. That's cool. Anytime, anywhere. Yeah, I love that. That sounds fun to me. I miss, <laughs> I miss hearing French, so I I would have a good time with that. <laughs> That'd be a great way to, you know, if you don't like, I I should be fluent in Spanish. I grew up in San Diego. Took years and years and years of it in school. You know, had dozens of friends that spoke Spanish. I I, I used to speak a lot better. I moved to LA and. All of a sudden, I don't have that infrastructure, like that 
that Spanish speaking element around me as much. And I've forgotten so many of the words. So it'd be really cool to be able to just practice speaking to someone. Yeah. The, the amount of applications that you can dream up are really incredible. So I want to ask you if someone listening to this is like, wow, I love the idea of being a chief visionary officer. I want to help either like develop their own idea or develop someone else's idea. And they have no clue how to get into this type of a role or how to find opportunities where people are dreaming up the future and going for it. Do you have any ideas or suggestions for like how to try to be in this type of role or how do you grow this type of uh, needed skill sets or characteristics? Are there associations of chief visionary officers? So I, I'm curious, all these things. I'm not convinced it's something you can learn. Okay. I think you could probably hone it, hone your skills. Okay. You definitely have to be a curious person. You definitely have to be observant. You definitely have to connect, be able to connect dots. I attribute all of that to playing Rummy Cube as a kid. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know if that's for sure. (laughs) I can't say it's a scientific thing. That's Um, awesome. I think that most people with the title that I have or lucky enough to have been a CEO, been uh, in other roles in a company, probably mostly in product development or innovation and tech innovation. And you just kind of move into it if your company needs that element. Okay. I think that my, our situation is a little bit different because I was the CEO for four years and then I begged this other person to come in and be the CEO. So my situation was like, okay, you're founder, you've done pretty much everything. What do you want to do now? And what I happen to be really particularly good at is planning for the future and envisioning. It's not so much being a visionary, it's envisioning what comes next and or, or how to solve problems for people and how to do that with our tech. You know, how do you have, what do you have to do to develop the tech in order to solve this problem? Do you already have it? okay, if you already have it, then how does it have to work to solve this problem or create demonstrations or prototypes of certain use cases that you can show to companies so they can envision it. People need to be helped to envision things. So you need to build build your case, whether it's visually, whether it's just practically, in a practical sense, you actually physically have to build it. So it's different, which I love. Every every idea, every day, you get confronted with something different. Like we're we're solving right now for a challenge that hasn't ever been done before. Unfortunately, has a super super fast turnaround. Oh, wow! So it's kind of 
oh, okay, well, can we do it? Can we not do it? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Well, it sounds exciting. <laughs> like a definite adventure. Yeah. Oh, that for sure. It's been an amazing adventure for the last, I've been in this for since 2012 now. I mean, no, 2010. Am I saying 2010? So almost coming up on 13 years. Wow. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. And it's changed a lot. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, and just even thinking back to what we were talking about at the beginning, like thinking about not having Siri now is just such a funny, it's such a funny thing to think, you know, and just the things that progress in the world. And then, you know, it's like they happen in their novelty for like what seems like three seconds. (laughs) And then we get used to it. And it's like, you know, now my kids want to speak to Siri all the time and, and they just know it exists. So it's just so it's fascinating to think about the potential of what can happen in the future and, and what you're creating and what we can all sort of create together. Kids will come home from school and say, Oh, how was the museum? Oh, I saw this great story file. Or, or, Oh, I, I talked to this great story file with so-and-so, you know, or they'll come back from school and say, what'd you do in history today? And, Oh, we talked to so-and-so and it, it's just, it, Think of all the inspiration and all the expertise and all of the things that if we just allowed kids to be able to explore a little bit more and spend time talking and asking questions, they would be inspired in a completely different way and hopefully make the world a better place. Yes. Be nice. I hope so. My fingers are crossed. So with that, I would love to ask you my last question that I asked to everybody, and it is this. So to end our conversation, will you share a sentence that uses verbiage or jargon from your field and then please translate it so it's understandable to us? (laughs) Hologram. It's the bane of my existence. (laughs) Okay. So tell us a little bit about that. Like what... In what context? Everybody calls our technology, oh, it's a hologram. Oh, you can talk to a hologram. And it probably, you know, it comes from obviously science fiction, but a true hologram does not exist. So we display, some of our our technology is displayed holographically, which would mean that it, it does have depth. It looks like the person's kind of three-dimensional, but you're really only seeing once the front view, but it just, it, it may look like it's got a little bit more substance to it, 3D effect without the 3D glasses and things. So you can take that. We do film volumetrically for some, in some cases. And what does that mean? That means that you do film a three film a person in 360 and with depth. So for example, if we wanted to put them in the metaverse and we wanted you to be able to walk around them, that's that's one aspect. Or VR, if you wanted to build a an environment in VR and you wanted to be able to walk around the individual or walk with an individual that you're talking to, if you need to manipulate that body physically to do something and be more present in, th- in three dimensions, you can do that with a volumetric capture. 
So, but it's still not a hologram. And I, you know, I fought it for years and years and years and the press just is relentless and just never everything. Oh, see the hologram of this, see the hologram of that. And it's not even holographic. I mean, they'll still call it a hologram. <laughs> so so something can be holographic, but it's not a hologram. True. So, and what makes something a hologram or, or what are the qualifications? So a hologram is an actual, an actual something because it hasn't been developed yet. It hasn't been, been done yet. It's something that is presented in front of you that is that you can walk around that is three-dimensional and that has structure. So a a hologram is an image of something. So it's as if I was standing in front of you or sitting across from you, but it's an image form. So it, the reason that it has doesn't exist yet is that there's no, you have to project onto something. And unless you're projecting, you, we need to find a way and they're working on it. They, they did do a true hologram of a two millimeter. I think it was two millimeters or maybe four millimeters butterfly on the top of someone's finger. Wow. They did a true hologram. Um, so that's as far as, we really technically have gotten everything else is holographic technology. Holographic technology is based in what was called Pepper's ghost and Pepper's ghost has been around for about a hundred years. It's been used by Disney. It was first, you know, used by Houdini on stage for a lot of their magic tricks. Illusionists have used you know, Pepper's ghost and holographic technology for years and years and years. It just, it's gone through this transformation technology technologically in the last 20 years that have made it a lot more ubiquitous, you know, to a lot easier to use and a lot more opaque. Um, so that it doesn't have that ghost like imagery anymore okay. um, where it got the goat, the name go- Pepper's ghost. It's a neat illusion. Basically. Okay. Um, How interesting. But it's not a hologram. But I, I pretty much have given up, and I, I've succumbed to whatever people want to call it. They, <laughs> <laughs> they'll say, "Oh, it's a hologram of." Uh, for example, we just got this slew of press internationally over, you know, five hundred articles written last week. Wow. It was. Uh, Woman shows up at her, this is not verbatim, but woman shows up at her funeral as a hologram and talks to the people that came, that visited the funeral. It was, that was not true. It was not a hologram. So, you know, but people just, the press loves that word. So So interesting. So was it, so it was a holographic projection? It actually wasn't even holographic. It was literally just a 2D on a monitor, you know, a, a big monitor, but it was just a TV screen. It was a big, huge TV screen. Okay. But it was a story file of this, of this individual. And it was her funeral. And the, one of the, the 
she was asked questions at her funeral. Her story file was at, was they had a conversation with her, her story at her funeral. And they asked her things like, you know, how do you want to be remembered? Or what would you like to say to everyone at your funeral and things like that, which they had obviously, they recorded this story file back in December, um, you know, not knowing that she would pass away. In fact, she was supposed to add to her story file and do another day in July. She ended up and, and it happened to be that she passed away two weeks before that. Wow. Really sad. Yeah. Um, it needed the story file needed more content, but unfortunately, you know, you just never know. You, yeah. Uh, it's, it's an incredible thought though, to be able to ask at a funeral, how do you want to be remembered? And to get the response from that person, like that is really mind blowing to me. We had one um, family that apparently they're known for being jokes, like practical jokers. Okay. And so this probably did not come as a surprise at the funeral, but the family did a story file with their father and they had an open casket. So I'm assuming that they were Catholic and they put an iPad in the casket. And as people came up and, you know, said their goodbyes, they would hit the button to listen and you know, as people said, hi, or hello, so-and-so, oh, I'm, you know, I miss you. He would actually respond. <laughs> oh my gosh. They didn't, they, I, they didn't show the story file. They just, they would hear the audio from the story file. I don't think they showed, wow. I don't think they showed the visual. They just had the iPad in the casket and they so would, I could listen and then standing there and they would, they would like push the button so people could didn't know that they were talking to him. Oh my gosh. Good answer. <laughs> that is really crazy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. It freaked me out. But <laughs> I I think I would have been freaked out too. But also a really intriguing use, right? Of <laughs> of what you guys have created. So I think let's you didn't create it for any of this, you know. It, it's going to be interesting to see what people actually do with it because we, this was not the intent, but you can do things, yeah. you know, creative, but the intent was not actually even for your, your children. It was for future generations, people that you, you haven't even met yet. Yes. Yeah. But it's, it's a very interesting, people will do interesting things. Yes, for sure. And I think too, that is, we'll kind of end on this, but that is, I think, sort of the beauty and the interesting thing about what you are creating is that like from between 2010, when you had this, this thought about, about wanting to be able to have your kids Mm -hmm. engage with these people telling these important stories and then to where you are now over a decade later. And then, you know, even talking five, 10 years down the road, like sort of how it will have evolved or iterated is really an interesting thing. And then also to see where the technology is at that point too, 
Well, it was such a pleasure having you on today, Heather. And just, it was really interesting conversation. Like, I'm so glad that we got to have it. And this, it's really the sort of the epitome of why I wanted to have this podcast is to like have these types of conversations with women like you who are doing really cool things. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Women With Cool Jobs. I'll be releasing a new episode every two weeks. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. And if you loved the show, please give me a five-star rating. Also, it would mean so much if you shared this episode with someone you think would love it or would find it inspirational. And lastly, do you have ideas for future shows or do you know any rock star women with cool jobs? I would love to hear from you. You can email me at julie at womenwithcooljobs.com or you can find me on Instagram at womencooljobs. Again, that's womencooljobs. Thank you so much for listening and have an incredible day.